Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with me today, I have Frank Casti. Hi, Frank. Hi, Sam. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Who who I am, Um, apart from being a chewy impersonator. Um, (laughs) Having said that, I actually cut my hair, which is the shortest I've had it for 20 years, so I'm I'm less fuzzy than I usually am. Where has this, the inspiration for this look, Frank has a pretty serious beard and long hair look going on. Yeah, it's, um, I wouldn't call it a state secret, but it's probably... uh, (laughs) It's more of a uh, plain laziness, <laughs> plain laziness, and and winding up my wife. Um, yeah. When we when we first got together, I was uh, I was uh, uh, I was presentable. Yeah, um, and then uh, I realised I didn't have to be presentable ever again <laughs> because um, I'd found a, a lady who had terrible taste in men who decided to choose me. Nice, and uh, and so the whiskers started to grow. But <laughs> yeah, aside from that, <laughs> um, aside from that, I'm the uh, I'm not very good with titles, but if you have to title me with something, I guess I'm the the founder or the the nutter who came up uh, with the the box and gas, well, box and gas concept, which is now reality. Yeah. And what? Okay. Before we get before we get to that. Yeah. Which is sort of ish current. What did you do before that? Before, yeah. What what what's what's your, been your journey before suddenly opening this so, or singing or dancing site? Career wise, I've done a, a mixture of different things mm-hmm. with very varying degrees of success. But essentially, uh, I I did uh, wholesale furniture and electronics for a long time. Okay. Um, I also did some advertising and then lots of other boring stuff that I won't bore you with. Um, <laughs> so, what was the most? What do you think you learnt the most doing? Which which one of those yeah. do you think you learnt the most doing? And yeah, I think that's a really good that? question. I don't know. Uh, I think I think you're the culmination of everything that's happened before, right? 
yeah. um, in many different ways. So I think that everything I've done in my career has kind of, or every thing I've done in my working life has kind of led up to the point where Boxing Gas, um, led up to the point of Boxing Gas. Yeah. So there was, um, so there are certain skill sets I've certainly brought with me, whether it's uh, working on the website, doing graphic design, marketing, um, project management. Uh, so all those different things are kind of come together to do, to do Boxing Gas really. To bring it forward. Yeah. To get you to this point where you're like, I've got this idea. Yeah. Yeah, so can you sort of describe what it is? And what's the name, Boxing Gas? What does that mean? So Boxing Gasser is, uh, is the German word for pit box. Okay. It's an old German word for pit box. And uh, a pit box is what you find uh, in the pit lane of a racing track. Yeah. And that's where you find that the, the mechanics, the drivers, and uh, the cars come together. So that's precisely what Boxing Gas does. Yeah. We're just a destination. We're just the place where... The, the drivers, the enthusiasts, the mechanics and the cars come together. Was it a, a tricky process, finding the right location, yeah. putting it all together, getting plans, mm. you know, like planning permission, all of these sorts of things? Yeah, it was It was definitely. Um, the, I mean, the first task of it was to, to find uh, the right location to have it, right? So it had to be very accessible. It had to be near a lot of potential poor specialists that could be interested in, in, in taking on yeah. and coming aboard. And it had to had to have the right amount of land to do the amount of events that we wanted to do, um, and it also had to have the right kind of buildings to be redeveloped into what I wanted to achieve. And at the very beginning, we looked at several different sites, but it was always going to be around the kind of Silverstone Motorsport Valley because that's where a lot of them are. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, so it, it needed to, it needed to have the right location, really. So yeah, and there, there were huge amounts of challenge challenges. I mean, it's it's a it's a very big project. So so dealing with all the councils and all the different different agencies that we had to were was was definitely very. Because what was what was yeah. the site before? Was it like a farm? Or yeah, it was a- an old farm that hadn't been a farm for many years. Okay, as, as I understand it, I don't know anything about farming, but as I understand it, a farm in order for it to be commercially successful has got to have um, at least a thousand acres. Okay, we've got a hundred. So yeah. I don't think it was a viable farm for a very long time. Yeah. So I think it was it was effectively someone's stately home at some point or another. Yeah. And then we came along and they decided to do what we wanted to do. But it was it was it was very much building a folly because I had this idea, I had this concept, and I was selling it as what it is today. But we started building the place without having anyone lined up. Yeah. So there was a huge amount of risk involved in that. A lot of sleepless nights, cold sweats. But fundamentally, behind the scenes, my plan was that if I didn't manage to get a big name port specialist mm. in there. Um, I would have leased it to any automotive business and eventually I would have leased, um, leased it to any business and worst case scenario, I would have flipped the property. Yeah. It was a good property for developer does. Yeah, yeah. And then we were in a very humble position that actually 15 different businesses wanted to get into the buildings I've built to date. Um, and they were a mixture of big name port specialists, some of them small and, and some of them just automotive brands. And in the end, Autofilm, uh, who are our, our anchor tenant, I guess, were our first tenant. Um, yeah, well, there was the right amount of chemistry and, and they had uh, the right reputation. Mm. They've been around the, the longest established Porsche specialist. If you're building buildings for like a car specialist with a view that you want some in, is there certain things that you would do differently? Like what does, because presumably buildings, okay, they can be used for anything, but it's better if they're slightly tailored to the usage. Yeah. What does a sort of car specialist building look like? Yeah, and it's it's not only that, but it's also what does a building that could end up not becoming filled by a car yeah, specialist? Exactly. So, you know, there was there's there's a certain I guess there's what I wanted to do and there's what it needed to have. And so 
when we got there, they were all grain stores. So the, the, the roofs were covered in asbestos. Uh, so were the walls. There was a tree growing in the corner of the unit that I've kept for myself. Yeah, <laughs> wind would come through, rain would come through. It was an absolute mess. Yeah. So fundamentally, at the very bare minimum, they needed to be um, well insulated yeah. and uh, shielded from the rain and the wind. Okay, so um, all those buildings were there. Yeah, all those buildings were there. But the only thing that remains, Sam, is the, um, is the, is the rafters. Everything else is completely brand new. It would yeah. have been cheaper and faster to knock the whole thing down and start again. However, planning the way that it is in this country meant that we had to... And I can understand, you know, you've got to keep the, a certain square footage and yeah. I can understand where they're coming from. It makes it challenging and God knows I like a challenge. But, but yeah, so, so, so yeah, so we rebuilt them from the ground up with reclaimed bricks because that was the look I wanted to go for and uh, weathered uh, wood um, and everything inside is very industrial, mm. um, a lot of... Uh, everything's exposed, all the conduits are exposed. And the reason for that is we could have gone with a very OPC look, so glass and brush steel, yeah. very clean cut. But fundamentally, we're, you know, we're dealing, we're not OPC. Um, and what they do is brilliant, and I love it, it's very smart, but we wanted yeah. to do something that was distinctively our own and kind of stay true to to our location because actually there's historically been years before uh, these buildings, there were there were a lot of big brick, red brick buildings there yeah. in the past. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think most, I may be completely wrong, but a lot most independent companies don't necessarily want that clinical mm. look. You want to feel like there's some soul in a place like. yeah and some heritage i mean you know we're dealing with we're dealing with we're dealing with secondhand porsches um we're dealing with older porsches so so you want to have that kind of well i wanted to have that kind of rustic a uh, rustic look that look that has a little bit of history or heritage or feel to it and it's something very tactile you know about the materials that we yeah. used um so yeah yeah and it's much nicer going to your space mm. rather than just a big commercial industrial unit park Mm. situation we get a lot of those in london and stuff like that there is one problem yeah you have a lot of speed speed bumps on your drive (laughs) so you know what fundamentally actually for disclosure i put those in i had no choice okay unfortunately uh, so to 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 give your listeners a bit of a background the um yeah the site is a hundred acre site it's uh very rural with a lot of woodlands and lakes um it's a very picturesque place yeah, horses at the very top, horse stables. And that leads into the answer as to why the speed bumps went in. And we've got we're, we've got 16,000 square feet built and, and leased, and we've got another 30,000 coming over the next few years. So fundamentally, with all the planning applications we've got yet to go in and so on, it's very important that we keep a very good relationship with our neighbours, mm. hence why the speed bumps went in. And unfortunately, if, you know, what's called the last thing that we need is 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 our neighbours not approving of what we're doing. Yeah, um, and totally. And dream. So, You've got to keep it keep yeah. it friendly. So it's a, it's annoying. Those speed bumps are incredibly annoying. As a Porsche enthusiast, I totally sympathise. But unfortunately, they are a necessary evil for me they to deliver. They are particularly what the, yeah. awful speed bumps, though. <laughs> and, you know, they're the type that are like yeah. really short and really like high amplitude. Yeah. That's just dum dum. Yeah. Dum, dum. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. When I was building the place, there was uh, there was a crucial. When we were coming to the end of it, it was only then that we could tarmac the road. Because if we did it beforehand, it would have been destroyed by all the trucks that yeah. were going in and out, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So that road was ab- it was absolutely horrendous at the very end. But it had to be tarmacked very quickly in order to get auto farm into the buildings. Yeah. So there was a very short window between the buildings being completed, the tarmacking having been done, and auto farm getting into the buildings. <laughs> and then the speed bumps had to go in. And the speed bumps went in pretty much the day before auto farm were opening to the public, or we were opening doors to the public. 
And uh, as one of the boys were leaving sight, they left sight in a GT3. And I'd specified that the speed bumps had to be 30 mil high. Yeah. And the GT3 front spoiler just scraped. Yeah. And it transpires that actually the speed bumps they put in, they got it wrong and they got it at 40 millimeters. Quite a big difference. Yeah, huge difference. (laughs) 10 mil is actually a huge difference. So I get on the phone, obviously very concerned about this, the day before we open to the public. And the, the contractor came in, to his credit, first thing in the morning before we even open open doors. And he ripped out all the speed bumps and put in brand new ones. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. That yeah. must have been... That's a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fair amount of work. And it, believe it or not, actually, tarmac dries relatively quickly. Yeah. So actually, you can tarmac a section and then get around it relatively quickly, is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it How was, do you rip up a, a speed bump? So it, the speed bumps that we did were um, were retrospective. So the point is, is they, they I mean, I, did, I can't believe we're having a discussion about speed bumps, but yeah, they were done not? retrospectively. But effectively, the, you you disc the retrospective ones that we put in, we just disced across the road to create a groove. Yeah. And the tarmac is put in over the top and it's shaped. Yeah. And so effectively, if you want to rip them out, then you just get a very, very big, um, it's not, not the right word, but it's, uh, you get a hammer, yeah. basically, a huge hammer. What are, I don't know what they're called. Um, Pneumatic drill type. Yeah, I, it's, um, I, I think of it the ones that you use for mining. You know, okay. miners use to... I don't oh, know, like I a big pickaxe, There I we think. go, thank yeah. you. Pickaxe is the word I'm looking for. Anyway, so yeah, so they, they use the pickaxe to rip up the, the speed bumps and put in brand new ones. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it makes a difference. And, and the amount of times you're driving around town or something and you just see just, just some monstrosity, that, like nothing, nothing can get over. You're in a normal car and it grinds out mm. in the middle and you're like mm. seesawing there down the road. Yeah, but, no, it's... But, uh, but it's we, have, it's an unfortunate we have sidetracked necessary. significantly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've got also farming. Yeah, we've got farming. I've known since for a while, mm. a, one of their cars. And... What's what's the plan after that? Yeah, so uh, leading up to that point, my plan was to, to, as soon as I got them, as soon as I got a tenant into that building and I achieved what I set out to achieve was to take, I don't know, 30 metres, step 30 metres backwards and just be, just appreciate that mm. moment. But actually by the time it happened, I was already on to the next thing. So um, <laughs> yeah, so we've got, we've got, um, we've got another 30,000 square feet of buildings coming across. So some of them are going to be more, more hospitality based. Right. And then the others are going to be more Porsche-related services. Right. Um, and, and is I, this buildings that are going in plan at the moment? Yeah. So they, uh, no, they're, they're under construction. Right. But they're still on the planning because it's, it's both, basically. Yeah. So we've got, um, I'm about halfway through one building, which is 6,000 square feet. The second phase of development has just been granted. So that's going to go, that's going to go into, that's going to happen soon. And then the one after that is probably, uh, it's probably going to be a year after it's going to be a year after that one is finished. What's the biggest struggle with getting planning permission for like a commercial building on what was a residential property originally? I don't know, but I can tell you in terms of, in terms of, for us, yeah. the biggest issue is sustainability or what they call sustainability, okay. um, which is effectively proving that it's sustainable to have a, a lot of traffic going to that specific place. In terms of planning, they're always trying to keep that sustainability, uh, the, the accessibility to that site very, very easy. So to reduce traffic on the roads. Yeah, yeah. So they, they kind of want, generally speaking, uh, councils want uh, developments to remain very close to town centres and villages and so on to keep that infrastructure in one place as opposed to making people travel out or, oh, uh, or travel in. That's quite, I'd never, mm. never even thought of that angle at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sustainability, as they call it, is quite an important thing. Now, 
we we're in the middle of nowhere as you know yeah. even though we're in the middle of everything so we're we're now in 30 minutes from over 50 percent of the uk's population we're junction on the m40 this bista village which is mm. busy as anything and bista is probably one of the fastest if not the fastest growing town um in the uk or in england so you know trying to prove our sustainability is very tough so one of the challenges that we've got is that everything that we have to do has to be very incremental um we have to you know ask for this planning application, get this building sorted, prove that it's viable, that it works, that it's established, yeah. that the businesses there need more space. And it's all done very, very incrementally. Um, so we have to be very careful and cautious. And it's 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 a delicate balancing act of um, of, of doing things, uh, yeah, doing things incrementally and, and reasonably and responsibly and working with the councils to, 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 to make it happening, to make it happen. And it can be frustrating, but at the same time, I totally understand why, why, why they would need things to be sustainable. I, and I'm glad that those things, those those sorts of thoughts processes are done, mm. um, because when those when people don't think about that sort of thing, or when it just seems there's planning permission kind of for the sake of it, yeah. Like um, I said, someone's house yesterday, and they they've wanted to do a little extension on the back of their house, or just remove a wall on the back of their house, but because it's in a conservation yada 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 area they're not allowed to do it and you're like well it would actually make it more environmentally friendly the person who lives there would have a nice time it's still going to look nice and it's the back of his house Mm. whereas Mm. like i don't know i have a bit of a pet peeve about central london yeah no it it is challenging it is challenging i mean otherwise there are there are other ways of doing things you can also do present you know a huge scheme and then you end up in seven to ten years of public consultations, yeah. traffic analysis, local parish meetings, and it becomes a, uh, becomes a whole mammoth. Or you do it incrementally, carefully, considerately, um, working with the council to get to where you want to get to. Will you have um, to, in future, put in another road or something? Uh, well, th- this is the interesting thing. So there's a lot of developments going on around around uh, around Vista, and there's there's a ring road that goes round um, that goes round Vista, and there's a piece of slice missing, which is exactly where we are. So as soon as they connect that, then all of a sudden accessibility to box and gas will will, yeah. will change massively. Um, and it'll be much more, much, much more easy to, yeah, ac- to access. Yeah, because to get to you, you come off the main road, then you have to go all the way down to the roundabout, then yeah. all the way back and then come off and then down your yeah, yeah, yeah. your driveway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So th- to answer your question, yeah, accessibility is going to be something that um, that is going to get better over time, hopefully. I have some plans, worst case scenario, if it doesn't come soon enough. Because, you know, trying to make us, trying to take an old farm and basically bring it kicking and screaming into a purpose it was never designed for was challenging. To give you an idea, when I first got there, for the first year and a half, I was working off uh, the 3G on my phone, um, tethering (laughs) off my laptop. And every month, pretty much, I had a phone call from O2 saying, you sure you don't want to upgrade your plan? And I kept saying, (laughs) no, it's coming. Because I had to trench for two and a half miles to get fibre optic down to the site because no business bar yeah. is going to open nowadays without fiber optic. And that meant dealing with Cherwell District Council, Oxfordshire County Council, National Rail, you name it, Highways England. That's mad. You name it, we had to deal with it. It was incredibly challenging. Talk about going through bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, but, very challenging. But an asa- absolute essential. Absolutely essential. So, and, and, and the deal would be done with Autofarm and, and they knew perfectly well that I was working on this, on getting, yeah. the, getting the, the internet in time or getting the site uh, internet. But the, the days were ticking by, you know, and we were getting closer and closer to the point where they're going to move in. And I was thinking, we're going to end up in a scenario where we've got a window where we haven't gotten anything. Yeah. And that just can't be. So I had investigated about three different alternative solutions, which were 
slowly failing because they weren't necessarily working. But there was a point where we had military-grade cases, um, which were going to be on site. There were these huge things, if I remember correctly. Um, and that was going to be able to give you satellite internet at like 50 oh, okay. meg or something. Yeah, yeah. And there was also another thing, which is line of sight, which was an- another way of transmitting yes. internet through masts. And then there was a third one that I can't even remember, and I don't care to, if I'm honest with yeah. you, Sam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm telling you that that was hugely stressful and a huge amount of work and it it yeah it, it yeah it, 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 it was me just thinking about it, it. was yeah, it really was we really weirdly was. at my previous place had a line of sight i guess that that's what must be in system yeah. um essentially a small road in central london that didn't have fiber optic and as far as we were concerned it was never going to happen mm. and um someone on the street was like oh screw it i'm getting a gigabit line yeah. And then we shared it with some people. Yeah, so and that was finally you could breathe. When we talk about little things that, that that I used to do that didn't work out. There was a uh, there was a company I invested in that did line of sight internet. Okay, and yeah, and unfortunately it didn't work out. It's um, a, it's, a, it's an unusual bit of tech. Like I I can see it as a way of transferring yeah. data from one place to another, mm. but giving it to multiple people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, th- this th- this worked. Unfortunately, it was too early for its time, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was too early for its time, but th- they raised a huge amount of capital for that uh, for that one, yeah. There's all these mad things that, like, right idea, wrong time, yeah. or just wrong idea, wrong time. And well, time, wrong timing is a huge thing. Timing is a huge thing. And boxing gas is, 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 a, is a key example of that. It was, it's the culmination, um, like I was saying earlier, it's the culmination of, of everything I've done before, and it's a combination of, of, of everything I've done really as an enthusiast, as a Porsche enthusiast too. Mm. I have a, a question I sometimes ask people, which is like, who do you see as your greatest competitor? But I'm, I'm going to mm. tailor that differently. How do you feel about, is it a, a beneficial thing having the Bista Heritage site nearby, which is a, mm. a large scale? Similar, yeah, I, I know the Bista Heritage guys. I know uh, Phil White there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a nice guy, really nice guy. I love what they're doing. I think it's brilliant we're just doing our own thing. I think there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a mutual respect. And the beautiful thing about it is that uh, there's certainly enough room yeah. for, for everyone. Um, in terms of them being so close by, it's an interesting one because I think the, looking at it from a, grander, from a grander perspective, I think sometimes you want industry to always be in the same kind of area. Yeah. So if you look at Motorsport Valley, it's That's historically so. that way. And if everybody thrives because of it, I think that it can be, if you don't think of it, if you think of it from very much a competitor standpoint and not and not a standpoint of businesses that complement each other. I think it's more of a community other. situation. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's how industrialists need to think, really. They need to think about, about their peers and, and competitors' businesses as opposed to always think of them as, as yeah, rivals. Stealing, think of, stealing your business. But Yeah, you've got to think about it. Where, where, what opportunities are there because you're because you're uh, you're in the same industry? Yeah. You know, how could you complement each other? How could you work together? What partnerships could there arise? And certainly there's, there's some brands that we're going to be working with over the next few years who you wouldn't necessarily think would want to be aligned with Boxing Gas just because Boxing Gas, because they're, they're, they're similar in many ways. But actually, when you look at it much more from a helicopter perspective, mm. a bird's eye perspective, then suddenly you see there's a lot of partnerships to be done and a lot of good business for everyone. Yeah, totally. And I know when it's generally having old cars worked on, it's not a one-stop shop. You can't just take your car to one place Yes, you can take your car to one place, but they need to outsource to other people. Mm. And having suppliers nearby just makes everything so much easier. Yeah, you can just chat to them. 
sort stuff out. I need an exhaust. I'll go see whatever Steve five minutes down the road, or he's just around the corner on the same site, mm. even better. Mm. Like all of that. For sure. I mean, look at, it, look at it from, from a retail perspective. You look at Oxford street, yeah. right? I mean, you got, they're all in one place really. And even, uh, what is it? It's Ken high street in London. That became at one point, I don't know if it still is actually, cause it's been a while, but that became the place to get ski apparel. Yeah. There were like three, four ski shops right next to each yeah, other. Yeah. Like a Bista village, you know, department stores. And that's effectively what Boxing Gas is eventually, or will be, you know, uh, it's, it's just a business park. Uh, it's a glorified business park that happens to be about Porsches, but we're just becoming uh, a, a place for Porsche related businesses mm. to be in one spot. Why, why Porsches? Why Porsches? Wow. How long is a piece of string? Um, so many different reasons. I've, I've flirted with other brands. I've had uh, American Muscle. I've done Italian Screaming Cars. I've done, I've done a few, many different things, but actually Porsche fundamentally does everything right. They are, they're reliable. They're relatively practical. They go fast in the straight line. They go fast in corners. They are bloody sound amazing. They drive incredibly. They, they, they do everything. They do everything. And also the, the other thing is, is it attracts people from more different walks of life. You look at Ferrari or Lamborghini, it's I don't know what, five figures minimum to get into them. Yeah. For example, I'm just choosing those two brands. Whereas with Porsche, you get everything from a, I don't know, two, three grand Boxster, 924, um, all the way up to a multi-million pound collector car. So suddenly you've got this, this amazing demographic of people from all different walks of life. And as a result, there's no rooms for pretensions or yeah, exclusivity. It it's all about inclusivity. And uh, yeah, and that's what, you know, Boxing Ass is hopefully going to be about. It's about this inclusivity, about getting everyone who's interested in... Uh, in, in Porsches in one place. Yeah, it's um, it's just such, like you said, I think that's probably what drew me to it in the first place. It's just not everyone, they well, they just make bloody good cars. I think that's what got <laughs> me to the first place. Yeah, yeah no, I think I think they make, they, they, they do, they do make awesome cars. They make cars that they're capable of, um, of, of doing, of doing everything. Um, yeah, they're just very, very good cars. But no, yeah, Porsche, I think when I first came across, well, not first came across them because they've been around mm. forever, but doing road trips with mates and people would have all, all different brands. Mm. And then invariably the Porsches were the ones that you could put all your luggage in, mm. seemed to do everything, started every time mm. pretty much. And which is like, for me, it's, it's like a nice level of they're cool. They're awesome. If you know what, a certain thing is, you know mm. what it is, but it doesn't just shout. Like if you've got a Ferrari badge in front of your car, everyone is like immediately judging you as like an individual, but mm. also just being like, that's a Ferrari. Wow. Mm. Wow. wow. Mm. Whereas Porsche just seems to like nicely fly yeah. under, under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the other side of it, I think one of the, one of the big reasons for that is because, and one of the reasons I absolutely love them is because they're, they're all about function. It's function over form. Yeah. They look a certain way, mostly um, because it happens to be that way that that's the way that it falls. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, you look at the old cars, Yeah. well, you look at even the new ones, to be fair, you know, you've got these big kind of frog eyes on the early cars um, and you still have that bulge uh, on the later cars as well. Those front wings were designed so that you could line it up perfectly with the apex. Everything about them is all about function before form. And there's, there's that's to me is a real engineer's car. It's a real... Um, it's a real, uh, yeah, it's kind of getting rid of all the garnish and making it very, very pure. Um, yeah. And I, in some ways, actually, a lot of the design choices I made with Boxing Gas um, were done done that way. You know, we, there, are, there are all our sprinkler systems, all our, all our electrics, all our, all our plumbing. Everything is on display. It's very industrial. Okay. We've left it very, very functional. 
because um, it reflects what's what a Porsche is about, really. And there's there's very little embellishment. You know, we we have we stayed away from from the glitz for glitz sake. So it's just it's just very functional in the same way the cars are. Yeah, and over the years. Yeah. You've picked up a few Porsches. Yeah, I have. I'm guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> can have. we can yeah. we run through some of some yeah. of the cars because you've yeah. got some cool stuff, and I'd quite like to know yeah. about different ones. What was the first Porsche you got? So first Porsche was a Guards Red nine six four Carrera four, bought for eight grand. Was it seven grand? I think it was eight grand at the time, um, and it was either that or it was a hatchback. Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, that's a fucking no brainer. A brand new, well, not brand new, um, you know, a newish, a newish hatchback yeah. with all the mod cons or a piece of shit 911. And it, for me, it was a no brainer. I won the piece of shit 911. It, you know, it, it was a horrible car. It had, um, the interior was ripped. Uh, the bolster was ripped and typical Porsche way from people getting ingressing and, and the, um, so I'm guessing you don't still have it. No, no, no. Unfortunately I don't. I'll, yeah. Are you trying to get it back? I, uh, I don't want that car back actually, <laughs> if I'm honest. It was, it was so bad. Like Sam, I, I, everywhere I drive, I had to have like several liters of oil in the back of the car okay, because it yeah. leaked so much oil. You can see out the rear window, which is kind of this kind of gooey <laughs> haze, right? Blue smoke, um, broken head studs eventually needed an engine rebuild. They quoted yeah. me eight grand, which was more than the value of the car. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I started at a time when the reason you bought a classic Porsche is because you couldn't afford a new one. Yeah. You know, and, and they were just, they were just so cheap. It was great. At the time it was very much 964s and eventually I couldn't afford to rebuild that car. So I ended up selling it on yeah. buying another 964 a few later, a few years later, which I still have. And at the time it was great because these were, these were relatively cheap cars. So you could modify yeah. them without worrying about value. You could race them around the track. If they got smashed or dented, it didn't really matter. You just raid the nearest breakers yard, Douglas Valley, yeah. Porsche Park, whatever, and just and just carry on. So there was a real camaraderie around these this unloved nine six four, which nobody wanted. I mean, at the time, you'd go to Porsche events and they would park they would park the nine six fours out the back. <laughs> you know, generally they'd be like, "That is the ugliest." They were they were the ugliest nine eleven because of those big bumpers. Yeah, um, they had huge amounts of bad press because of leaking head gaskets and dual mass flywheel failures. So so nobody wanted them, and they were they were born at a time of recession in the nineties. So. So people who bought them then eventually didn't look after them well, so they eventually, you know, racked up thousands of miles, which was great because it was just cheap and fun to have. I, I wish, I wish this was the case with like all all cars, all yeah. cars. Yeah. If no, if yeah. cars just didn't have any value whatsoever, I'd be totally behind that. Well, you know what? It's it's a question I often get asked. Get asked is um, which Porsche is your favorite out of what I have? Yeah. And my answer every single time is the highest mileage car I've got which has got the most amount of modifications and the one I've created the most amount of memories with. Yeah. Because without wanting to lax lyrical too much, but when the curtains close, the last thing, the only thing you're left with are your memories and you don't want them to be of a low mileage car gathering dust well, in the corner just of no, your garage. Uh, there are no memories for zero no. miles. Yeah, okay, you exactly. bought it and you sold it or whatever yeah. and you looked at it, but yeah. that's it. Yeah. But it's about creating those memories. It's, you know, the... You know, I have I have this this one nine the second nine eleven I ever bought, which I bought for I think it was eleven at the time. Um, I've modified that within an inch of its life, and it's had several different iterations. And I've driven probably over ninety thousand miles in that car. Nice. Um, and what's that been, car? Sorry, what's, been, what's I, I just was going to yeah. say what's been the journey of that car and its changes? Oh, it's just many different things. I mean, the, you know, the I remember putting eighteen inch wheels. Normally they come with seventeens. Yeah. Or even the earlier ones came with sixteen D nineties. I remember putting 18-inch wheels on that car. They were fake three-piece wheels because I couldn't afford the real thing. with plastic bolts. Nice. 
and they came with a set of Nexon tires. Yeah, I remember. Cool. And I remember being blown away by that modification. I was like, wow, the, the sidewall's stiffer, it's smaller, so it's stiffer. Yeah. Car feels like it's on rails. And I just did the journey of that car, you know, I learned so much about modifying cars, about what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, it was, it was, and it's, you know, modifying cars is it's, it's cars, cars are mass produced, right? For a mass market. Yeah. So they need to appeal to, a, to as many people as possible. But the truth is we're all individuals. We all have individual requirements. Your, your interpretation of what a driver's car is, is probably very different to mine. Everybody's an individual. Yeah. So when it comes to modifying our 11s, I, uh, it's it's a very true expression of what or any car it's a very true expression of what driving means to you yeah um and yeah so yeah it's a very personal thing so what okay in your if i was to give you yeah. a blank canvas of a car that you would create to use on the road yeah specifically the road what what avenue would you go down what any car or well, okay we're saying 911 let's stick with 911 let's stick with what do i know because i don't know much else i'd probably start with a 964 yeah yeah, but, well, it depends. I think what you need to do before you start modifying a car is have a very clear idea of how you're going to use the car. Too often I see people, you know, going in one direction and then actually the, 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 what they want to use the car completely changes and suddenly it's not really fit for purpose and it becomes a master of none. Yeah. So I think you have to have a really clear idea of how you're going to use the car. Um, and then from there, find the donor vehicle, probably drive it for a year and a half, don't modify it. Um, I like that. I rate that just, decision. just, just to figure out what's wrong with it. Cause every classic car has got something wrong with it and you need to bring it back to ground zero and have time to figure out and discover what that, um, what, what, what that car means to you, what it's going to be. You might end up with this car and then suddenly realize, actually, I want to build a grand tour. I don't want to build a, uh, yeah. a, a track monster or an Alpine tour or whatever. And I think that's the reason why I have so many Porsches actually, Sam, <laughs> is because, you know, yes, they're all Porsches, but fundamentally each one has a very, very set purpose or a very set tar is is good at doing one very specific thing whether it's a car that my missus accepts to get into <laughs> are there many that she's yeah okay there's with? definitely not so the, the car i brought here today is uh is is a 964 anniversary edition they're a wide body nash aspirated car so they're what That's i call cool a heifer lump that. they're quite they're quite heavy they're yeah. quite underpowered they could do with another 200 horsepower so fundamentally that is never going to be um it's never going to be a uh it's never going to be a barnstormer or, or yeah. a track car so that car was me trying to create my interpretation of what a grand tour is. And my wife likes that car. My wife gets into that car. Whereas there are other cars when she's like, well, I can't get my leg over that, um, that roll cage. <laughs> that bit of scaffolding. That's yeah, that bit of scaffolding that's in there. I remember I, it wasn't that long ago, actually, I pulled out in a, in a car that I call Edith because she's just a grumpy old. So what's that? What's Edith? Um, she's, it's, it's a, it's a complete mongrel. A bit like me. A seven, it's, it's, it's an, it's, what is it? It's a 1979 uh, base car built to 74 RSR specification. Right. Um, it's a mongrel, it's a bit of a hot rod. It's got bits and pieces of lots of different things in there. And yeah, so I, I once it was date night, I pulled that out in front of, in front of the front door. And my wife walked out, uh, walked out the front door, saw it and went back in the house. <laughs> She, she, Cold. she, yeah, no, she, she, you are, I've given you the, the PG 13 version. There are a lot of swear words. You're like, I'm not getting in that. That's a shit, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, it's, that car does 110 decibels on flyby and it's not even on megaphones. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a monster. That's quite loud. Yeah. It's quite loud. It's Isn't it, is that full bucket seats and. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually, that's, that car started off life. Uh, well, that car at one point was just a barnstormer. So just for B roads, relatively, yeah. uh, relatively compliant. It could be driven on the road. And then now one of my dreams when time allows is to start doing some racing. So I, I like a club level. 
uh, yeah. just get my hours up. So, so I've been going through that car once again to to build it into a into build into a. Because what a can race you race? Car. What yeah? What what can you race in as a like what series? Well, it depends on the car. So it depends on the car, whether it's an FIA HTP car yeah. or whether it's exactly as it was. You know, for if it's an HTP car, it needs to be exactly as it was in period. So it needs to be... So that would be, what, like a 74 RSR Yeah, or like if you like were, you would have to take a 73 shell and build it up to 73 RSR um, spec. So you would yeah. have to use the right training arms on the rear, the right calipers, the right discs, the right MFI pump, all the rest of it. There are huge amounts of regulations. Yeah. So, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it can be quite... It's quite quite Punchy. prohibitive and bloody expensive way to yeah. do things. Or there's the other end of the spectrum where you can go full on club racing where pretty much it's run what you run. Balls to the wall, you do what you like, you know. So so I think what I'm probably gonna end up doing is is uh is is club level racing at the very beginning anyway. Yeah. Where it's cheaper and there's less rules. Yeah. And it's more of a riot, less pretensions. I came across um, a series the yeah. other day which sounded it sounded really good actually. It was um the rules were you'd go on your Friday testing or whatever and they have a few different classes and your lap time decides which race you run in. Right, right. And you're not allowed to run. You have to run within your lap time-ish mm. that you've set. Like I said, you can't just do like, oh, five seconds faster on race day because it's yeah. it's not really what it's all about. Yeah. But that sounds like quite fun because then you, you can just have a massive selection of cars mm. that are all pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in an speed. ideal world, I would do it on weight and power. That's it. That's it? Yeah. I'd just do it on weight and power. Do you think that... Like, power to weight. I'm trying to think if there's yeah. any things that sneak around that. Generally, you, you, I mean, lighter you, would probably be better in that. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be as, uh, as, as light as you possibly can um, and as high horsepower as you possibly can. But if, it, if it's a fixed power to weight ratio, yeah. depending on the track, because if, let's say, you have a, a Le Mans situation, actually right. you want horsepower. Yeah, you just want horsepower because that'll give you the top speed. Mm. Obviously, but in, in every mix. scenario, Sam, the lighter the car, the better. Oh uh, yeah, and always in, the lighter the better. In every scenario, the more horsepower, the better. But in fact, it's not horsepower; it's torque, isn't it? Torque wins races. Horsepower sells cars. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What, what, what's the phrase with horsepower? Is like, oh no, I can't remember. I can't remember what it is. There, there, there's a good, there's yeah, a good slogan. Slowing it out there. Yeah, but yeah, no. Okay, so you've got. A few different cars, yeah. and you say they are all different in one way or another. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing you're starting to. Do you feel like you're starting to sort of split hairs a little bit at this point, or oh, yeah. you're like nicely? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh no, they're pretty. There, I am splitting hairs definitely. Um, but they, it's subtle nuances, you know. Like, um, you know, they're, they're from uh, from '69 to to '70 is is subtle nuances. So '69 last year of the two liter engine. Yeah, first year of the long wheelbase, so it'll it'll feel different to a, a seventy car, and it'll feel very different to a sixty eight car. So I, what what I enjoy is the subtle nuances between different the years, different things, yeah. the different things which are changed. Yeah, that's that's part part of the appeal. And your, would you say you're sort of putting together a collection, or it's just a bunch of cars that you own at that time, and there just so happens to be a large amount of them? I think it's just a bunch of cars that I happen to own in that. And you're like, I like that. Yeah, I would love yeah. to have that in my yeah. garage. Yeah, there, there's a real mixture in there. There's a mixture of um, very highly original cars, with relatively low mileage, and then there's um, there's what I call mongrels. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think is, I, I totally appreciate both ends yeah. of the spectrum on that one. Definitely, my journey, my Porsche journey, has involved with the classic cars yeah. is being buying a mongrel, mm. 
and messing with it. Yeah. Which I do actually get a lot of, I love the fact that it's not original. Yeah. So that if I want to change something, I just change it. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's what that car represents you now. Yeah. You've, you've made memories with it, whether it was it breaking down or it working or different choices you've made to make it work in your, in the way you want to make it work. And that's really personal. That's really cool. I think, you know, what's called, there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a brand new 911 with a warranty on it. I totally get that. And a lot of the times, you know, what's called, I, I I feel like selling everything and just doing that because, you know, I'll have a gearbox go and an engine go in the same month, which has happened. But what's called, there is something very personal about doing things, doing something your own way. Yeah, um, totally. Something you're often more expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny when you said about having things, just having a warranty and whatever. Like right now, yeah. there are no, I have no sports cars at home. They're all somewhere else. Yeah. And you're just like, how has this happened? Yeah. And it's like, it's been like this for like three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, yeah, it, but you know, what's called, it's, it's like that. It's, um, yeah, it's challenging. And, you know, I've had, um, I, I had not too long ago a 997 Turbo uh, S that I thought was a phenomenal car, a huge amount of respect mm. for it, just technologically, just incredible. I mean, talk about a car that can do everything, right? 100%. That, wow. And that had a warranty. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I have huge amounts of respect for it and I, I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, you know, my, my heart is with the older stuff um, for many reasons, which I'm sure. Especially on, for me, on road. On track, I can sort of get behind pretty much just what's the best track vehicle. Mm. Like, okay, it's fun, but if you're just about going really fast, whatever's lightest and got the most horsepower and the most aero and grip, like, unless you're, I don't know, drifting or something, I can get behind that. But on the road, different cars. I had had an interesting one this week. I got to drive two pretty cool cars. On Monday, I drove the new Ferrari F8. Mm. Like, unbelievable bit of kit um i drove for 20 minutes on the road and 20 minutes on track at goodwood not necessarily the ideal track for a couple of laps in someone right. else's car yeah. it's all just flowing high speed stuff which yeah. if it's not your car and you're not used to it it is a high speed it. track and there's not a lot of runoff which yeah which is fine if you're you've got time to build up and whatever mm. but um i found that, that i hit a bit of a weird like i was i got home and then my other half was like how was that I was like, mm. I felt a bit sad. Yeah. Um, she's like, why, why are you being so weird? I was like, well, I sort of think of myself as a car guy and I've just driven what on paper should be an unbelievable experience. And as a technical object, it is very good. Mm. It's like exceptional at all the things it does. Crazy powerful, like handles amazingly, like nice seating position, good visibility, all, all of the things. But it was just absolutely, I couldn't care less, mm. which was, and then that in itself made me really depressed because I was like, this is like a, I don't know, 250 grand car. Why does this not get my juices flowing? Because you're not doing anything. And you're literally not doing anything. It's, it's like a PlayStation game. And the yeah. electronics, there was, there was something about the electronics. The electronics have got so good, yeah. especially in that car where I slowed right down and then just mashed it in second gear <laughs> on, a, on a country road. Yeah, and you got and away it, with it. And it just... Got away with it, but not like any other car I've been in, in the sense that it was almost imperceptible yeah. that that is what has happened. Yeah. And it just perfectly yeah. metered the torque input and the traction control and all of these things. So it was just smooth, yeah. but it was like, I put my foot down and I was ex- in any car, that mm. 700 whatever horsepower and yeah. God knows how much foot per pound. Yeah. It should light up the rears. No, definitely. Um, so anyway, I drove that car and there was a bit... Mm, 
I'd like to drive it again at some other point in time, but whatever. No, I totally get that. I think, um, you know, there's, there's something to be said for a car that you get out of where, you know, you're, you're in, you're, you know, you've, you've sweated, you've earned it. Yeah. Um, it's painful. The next day, you know, your, 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 your leg hurts from, from the heavy clutch and your neck hurts and, you know, it just, it feels yeah, like you've like earned a, it. It's a bit, and, and like yeah. a road trip in something that's super easy mm. isn't really a road trip. It's mm. like a, you're visiting places, but the driving beca- just gets yeah. removed. Yeah. Um, but the next day I drove something completely different. I went down to GTO Engineering um, to record a podcast and they said you can drive one of our revival cars. So it's a 250 short wheelbase, essentially. Those look absolutely stunning. I've got to say, I've got it's a real a mega thing looking those. thing. Yeah. Um, what was it like to drive? So Everything you hoped and more? It's... I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. I didn't actually have anything. I knew it was a V12. I knew what it was. Uh, seating, no preconceptions. No preconceptions whatsoever. Yeah. Seating position, awful. Like everything about the actual getting in the car and whatever, your knees are in a, your legs are in a really mm. bad place and all that sort of stuff. Car obviously looks sick. Uh, this car was in sort of competition spec, so mm. competition clutch and competition gearbox. So they just said, they were like, yeah, you'll be fine. Just give it more revs than you would normally i was like okay fine i don't particularly want to stall it so i'll just give it more beans and 10 minutes later i genuinely stopped on the side of the road and had like a couple of minutes to myself of like what the hell has just happened as a as a as a, as a car dynamically mm. it's the other end of the spectrum from this fa like yeah it's shit yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like leaf springs yeah. at the back coils at the front all this stuff awful steering wheel blah 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 but the engine the engine in this car (laughs) is off another planet in in comparison to the day before and I just suddenly was like oh my god this is what it's all Mm. about again yeah definitely like I sort of knew this but I'd forgotten and you don't often nowadays get to drive something that gives you that smack bang in your ears in your face visceral sound mm. and experience of having a proper engine in a car. Yeah. There's nothing more rewarding. I mean, the, these cars, I mean, like, you know, air-cooled Porsches, they're, or classic cars as a whole, they're, they're incredibly flawed. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're incredibly flawed. But those imperfections, when everything's just right, you know, are perfect. You kind of, you, you're, you're kind of the mushy bit that makes it work, yeah. that has to make it work. Um, and so that, that, and it requires so much from you, that level of involvement, that, that commitment that it requires from you makes it so much more worthwhile. Yeah. It's, it's gratifying. And I mean, you know, we, we, you know, without wanting to, to preach too much, we live, we live very much in a very throwaway society where things are very immediate. Mm. Um, you want something, you got it. And there's something very, there's something very therapeutic about, uh, getting into an old car and, and really, really working for the destination, working for where you want to go. Getting yeah. out of it and feeling actually, I've, I've, you know, that was very, very gratifying. Yeah, and um, I, I quite yeah. like. I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have an F40, and that is mm. suitably ludicrous. Yeah, um, sure. and and I think it's, I, I think it's relatively easy to drive, mm. but that's coming from my position in time. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm now having driven lots of cars and got used to no traction control and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but so I wouldn't put, if someone was just driving around town, yeah, it's just a car. You can drive it around town or whatever. But I wouldn't, I'd be uncomfortable just putting a randomer in it and letting them go anywhere near full throttle mm. because you're just going to have a problem. But like these modern things, like an F8 or whatever, yeah, I'm sure like a LaFerrari or something, yeah, yeah. literally your granny can get it in it. It's got two pedals, yeah. put it in D. But at the same time, I know, I know we're, we're, you know, these, we're, we're knocking these cars quite a bit, like, but I totally get it. Like what's called the, 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 the appeal is incredibly strong. These cars, I've got nothing but a huge amount of respect for modern cars for what they achieve. The technology goes into them is incredible. The fact that, you know, your grand could get in it and drive it is, 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 is it's pretty cool. Pretty damn impressive that you can harness 700 horsepower in that kind of way. Um, so I've got nothing but, nothing but praise for the technology and I've got nothing for understanding why people really crave it. Um, it just happens to be that me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, more of a classic, mm. classic guy. I think for me, it's, it's not, there's, I love modern stuff. I love tech. I love, mm. I love the way that new cars, let's say something like the FA or, or a modern Porsche or something. Ergonomically, everything is amazing. Yeah. Like you can drive those cars for a long, long time and no problems whatsoever. And you feel fresh as and you feel you. great and you can use them and whatever. Yeah. The problem I have is when, and you could, you could in your F8, mm. you can turn everything off. And I bet if you turn everything off, it's an absolute monster. Mm. It's but, probably still very good to be fair. Cause I mean, the, the advances in geometry and the advances in, in yeah. suspension, suspension technology and tire technology, uh, and the width of the tires on these modern cars, even, even with everything switched off, uh, they're probably still pretty damn good. Yeah. But yeah. you will, you then at that point in time have, you, you'll then have some consequences to putting your foot down, <laughs> yeah. um, which is not, yeah. Yeah. it's not something I'm going to do in, in a car that someone's just lent me for five minutes. But if I would love to go and have a play with something like that with some more space yeah. um, and do Big it. Big empty parking but, lot. But it's the engine. It's the engine note for me. If you've got these modern turbocharged engines just mm. sound rubbish mm. and yeah. it, even just wind back like five years and we yeah. still have good sounding natural aspirated engines. Yeah. We still have some, we still have some cool stuff now. Yeah. No, definitely. The old stuff does. I, I have a thing for MFI engines, so mechanical fuel injectors, yeah. Porsche engines, they're cool ones. They um they just sound so special. And there's there's a real whine, a very mechanical, very distinctive note that the MFI pump makes. Yeah. There's one particular engine that I've got. It's, it's a four liter MFI ITB engine. It's a stroker, so not a a big eight thousand RPM engine. It's more of a seven, six yeah. and a half, seven. But it's huge amounts of torque, very usable power, very linear for the road. Mm. It's absolutely amazing. And that's on megaphones and the sound of that MFI pump with, you can just about hear it, the induction noise over the top and 
that flat six screaming, yeah, to 7,000 RPM. That's, so that's real special. It's like straight to the soul. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you feel your heart vibrating, you know? You physically feel it vibrating inside your, um, inside your, inside yeah. your rib cage. Um, that howling through an alpine pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's euphoria for me. So all, if I yeah. said to you, you can drive only one of your cars mm. for a road trip. What would, what would you take? So it'd be, it depends where I'm going, but my ultimate road trip is... A, European or something. Yeah, so, something like so if, if my ultimate road trip is an Alpine, is an Alpine tour yeah. with, uh, with a bunch of friends, if it was with my missus, we'd be going driving a lot slower and we wouldn't be doing an Alpine tour. Um, so yeah, so an Alpine tour with friends, it would be probably a naturally aspirated. The, the four-litre MFI would be beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah something of- very, very light, you know, um, with big power. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. And not, for me, not too much grip. Yeah, yeah. Although it depends. Yeah, it depends how much power you're putting down. Really. I went out in a... I mean, there's something, there's something, I mean, good grip is something, you know, there are some corners where you go barreling into that. I'm, I'm thinking of these specific, these specific S's on some Alpine Pass that we did a few years ago. And, uh, and you just, you just go in there and you just think it's not possible. <laughs> and you're, there's no way you're going to make it out. And yet you do. And then you go, okay, well, I'll try it a little bit faster. You just keep going. You're just and you're building that confidence of grip, you know, and just that sheer amount of grip. Yeah, I know it's... Yeah, it there's is. There's something to be said for, for, for finding, the, finding that limit, yeah. driving on that limit, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I went out in a... I got a chance to go out in a... As a passenger lap in a two-litre... One of the two-litre oh, yeah, cup two cars. cup cars, yeah. yeah. The other day. And that was such... That was actually a really yeah. nice experience. It was... I At the time, I was driving... My radical, so lightweight, high downforce type situation. And then got out and got in with this guy called Ollie Bryant. I don't know if right. you've come across him. No. It's a racing driver, races for Historica. Right, right. Um, and that car was just driven exceptionally well, but mm. like, it was just such like the serene, nice, slidey balance of like, yeah. not that much grip, but you could carry a lot yeah. of speed. Yeah. And everything was just. I think it's Awful on like Olin's and stuff and it's just like yeah. this really smooth, amazing. And I suddenly like, okay, yeah. I've not driven a road car like that. Yeah. So you get, you get that more with the, the earlier 911s, they're frantic little things, the short wheel bases, yeah. frantic little engines, very, very peppy, very racy, um, skinny tires, tall sidewalls. Yeah. You get that definitely with those. As you go further down the line, they kind of feel heavier, feel more for, feel more grippy and they, the, the, the that, that very frantic sensory feel kind of slowly goes yeah. away. I mean, even like things like a 73 RSR is a completely different ball game to like a two litre, to a two litre car. But a 73 RSR for me is, is the sweet spot. That absolute sweet spot. If you said you could have, I don't know about any car, but any sort of classic mm. Porsche, 73 RSR is the one for me. Yeah. It's just that nice blend of the race car, mm. but still is a road car and like looks more classical. Mm. still got that mm. it's not just like mm. hench well they're just they're still they're still light they're very yeah. very light um you start going into into the g series of 74 onwards suddenly weight starts to pile on and the weight is killer everything right how much heavier um, do they get sorry how much heavier do they get i have no idea know? i can't tell you off the top of my head but um i know um that when you when you start feeling getting into a g series with like the, the, the early G-series with the uh, the smaller engines, they feel heavy. Mm. They definitely feel heavy. They definitely feel a lot heavier than the earlier cars. The the long wheelbase cars, the sorry, the uh, the long hood cars yeah. feel very, very light, very tactile, very sensitive. They're, uh, 
uh, just delicious. And weight is just one of those things that just affects every single dynamic of a car. 100%. There's no substitute for weight loss. And the beauty of it is, you know, I, I get asked relatively often, what modification should I do to my, you know, what modification should I do to my Porsche? Um, and I always say that, you know, after you've figured out what's wrong with it and fix that, and then you're ready to start doing modifications, the best thing you can do is, is weight loss because it's cheap um, and driver training. Those two things are the best things you can do. Yeah. Before you start spending money on horsepower. Because getting yeah. horsepower out of, out of an online level is expensive. <laughs> it's so expensive. It's very, very expensive. It's very expensive. Whereas weight loss is free. Yeah. It's free. And it's and it affects everything. You know, Whereas building a big engine you know, um, is incredibly expensive. And uh, and uh, and it doesn't affect all, all the different... Or it doesn't affect every single dynamic of the car. Whereas yeah. weight loss does. It is. It's, it's, it's such a killer. Mm. Like uh, being heavier. I remember... I went to visit Paul Stevens yeah. and, and drove his uh, yeah. club sport car. Yeah. And he was talking about the weight loss and they've, they've excessively weight lost their cars. Yeah. Um, and then I was talking about, I think I was asking him about brakes or something. He was like, the thing is, most people put bigger brakes on their car. But when you put bigger brakes on your car, the car weighs more. Mm. The wheels Unsprung weight. weigh more, unsprung mass. Like, it's, it's then harder to stop. Mm. And then you need bigger brakes and it's like, you just go down this mm. avenue of just having bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger mm. brakes when actually, yeah. if you can find the smallest size that you can get away with, mm. that is a hundred percent what you should do. Yeah. I think, you know, what's called, if you want to, if you want to get better braking power, you've got two options, either go bigger brakes, which unsprung weight, as you say, it's heavier or you lose weight. Yeah. So it's a no brainer. The, the only thing against losing weight is that then it becomes a car that isn't necessarily a car that your missus will accept to get into which is a problem I've faced before. Yeah. So in an ideal scenario, you know, what is the one classic 911 to do everything? Probably a 964. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've driven, I drove one recently. Yeah. The Theon car. Oh yeah. That was quite cool. But it was interesting having driven my cars, which is a, it's mm. an SC mm. backdated to sort of S seven people, ST type, type situation. It felt so much heavier and bigger and well, so much more modern. It felt yeah. so much more yeah. modern. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you have one classic nine eleven that's that's relatively uh, relatively user friendly, um, a nine six four is a good one. Um, you start going a little bit older than that, it becomes a little bit less use use yeah, you, useful. Nine nine three is the most usable of the classics for sure, the classic nine elevens. But um, but there's something very special about nine six fours for me personally because it was the first nine eleven I got into, and two also because it's the only year of nine eleven that has coilovers and single arm rear training arms so 993 you're into multi-link yeah. with the coilovers and then before that you're into torsion bar cars um so it's a very unique experience there's no other 911 that handles like the 964 because before and after they were just different yeah yeah in terms of their running gear or rear running gear no it's um i mean it's just an endless pit isn't it of you can just go down an avenue and keep, keep, keep yeah. going if it do you have something in your sights in terms of cars, do you um, guys buy next? Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, like you know, if there's if there's a, if there's there's a car that's attractively priced, of course, I'm not gonna um, then it, it could make me jump. But generally speaking, I've got I've got projects on the go. I've got too many projects on the go that I need to concentrate on. What's the latest project? So the, the latest project I've just completed is the the anniversary edition that I brought here mm. today. Need to have a poke around that. Yeah, it's it's a good car. So the anniversary edition they made 911 to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the 911. Um, except they didn't. They didn't manage to make 911 okay. because not enough people bought them. Um, 32 came to the UK. 12 of them were uh, right-hand drive. and 12, Sorry, 12 of them were right-hand drive and Polar Silver, and the rest of them were all um, 
well, well, I think it's amethyst purple or is it viola? I forget. I think it's a mixture of the both, the two actually. Um, and so basically it's a limited edition 911 with, with, um, it's a wide body, but naturally aspirated. Mm. Um, and so that was an interesting exercise for me because here was a car that, that, uh, is quite rare that I wanted to modify, but I couldn't go the whole hog on it. I didn't want to do anything that was, that was non-reversible because yeah. it would have just been, it wouldn't have been fair to the car. So it's, for me, it was very restrained actually compared to some of the other projects I've done. <laughs> it was an example and it was an interesting exercise in, in, in how to modify a car without ruining the value. Yeah. Um, not because it's the value is the be or the end all, but because I'm um, just trying to be respectful of what the car is, how rare the car is and the fact that the, it's, it, it would be good to see the car survive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't hack off the roof and start <laughs> deleting, you know, um, what, sunroof and sunroofs and rain gutters and supercharging or turbocharging, or whatever. So that's that. But the, 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 the most recent project is a, um, uh, I, I bought a, um, uh, a team built 3.8 RSL and it's a car that was, uh, that was restored in 2008 in terms of its bodywork, mm. I believe. And then it was, um, it was mothballed pretty much. And then now it's got to me and everything needs doing in terms of the mechanicals. So yeah, doing all the running gear, um, doing the engine. And again, because that's a pretty significant car or a rare car. Yeah. Um, that's an exercise in doing things exactly as they were. Correctly. Yeah. Correctly. Uh, and the plan is to get that road registered because, because why not? Yeah. Um, to make it more, to make it more usable. And yeah, also the values um, go up. You're yeah. not taxed on them. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and also, um, and also get it FI'd. Yeah. So, so potentially, so you, you know, I would like to do some Porsche racing, build up my skills. Yeah. And then maybe be down the line, for Peter Auto like GT Legends, yeah. level, for example, which would be uh, sick, which would be absolutely amazing. But you know what, Sam? I've, uh, there are, in terms of cars, there are so many plans, so many things I'd love to do, and so many things I want to do. And every time it it uh, it gets pushed by the wayside because just because just my work life balance can't take it. Really. Yeah, and just work just gets in the way. It's like uh, I'm actually supposed to be at Spa this weekend, but it turns out that the the client wanted to have a meeting on Monday. So so uh, here so, we are. So I'm I'm in the UK and I'm. Fortunate enough to to be invited onto your podcast. Ah, no, it's good to have you down. Yeah. Um, you're, so you've got a, you brought a Leica with you. I did. Yep. What's that? So this is a this is like a Q2. Um, oh, right. Okay. I, I wondered if it was one of the M ones. No, 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 no. So so I'm I used to be very much into my photography. Again, work got in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a the last big camera I had was a 5D Mark II. Yeah, yeah, 5D Mark II, and um, and I loved it. It was an incredible camera, but. It, it's a bit, it's a big body. Well, you're not a professional yeah, yeah. photographer. So it's a big body and Mark you have three. lots of lenses. And the result is that it would just gather dust in, in the cupboard and I'd never take it to events. And so photography completely went out the window and, and compact cameras or small cameras weren't really where they are today. Yeah. Um, so I just completely forgot about photography. Then COVID happened, lockdown happened. All of a sudden had a bit more free time than I've had for, for many years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, actually, I want to get back into to photography and, um, and what I love about this is it's small, compact size. It's a fixed lens. So there's no, there's yeah, it's no 28 millimeter. Right? Yeah. But what's called, it's a 48, 45, I think it's 45 megapixel sensor. So you can crop in a hell of a lot. So yeah. You still get your shallow depths of field if you want. So all of a sudden I've got something that's uber portable or really portable and very restrictive. So I don't have to start thinking about what lens I want at what time, blah, blah, blah. So over the last few months, it's been, it's been really, really good. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one that one. I've I'm endlessly searching yeah. for a small camera, mm. like as small as possible, but still full frame with a good lens on it. Yeah. 
and well, I highly I, recommend it. I, I've 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 had a Fuji X100, the latest one, mm-hmm. for like about a year, which is pretty good, but it's not doesn't quite have the something about it. <laughs> it's good, yeah. but it's it, it's great. And then a, a Q2 is is another one that I've yeah. sort of looked at, and there's there is something that massively different about just having one camera with a lens on it versus having like you can see over there yeah. you've got loads of cameras with loads of lens just plonked to the side and that decision process not having well, that decision process yeah it's less is more it's one of those things it's, it's the same thing in some degrees to to it, it it's challenging you know it's more challenging um it's easier to use because it's, there's not there's not all this kit that you have to lug around yeah. with you everywhere you go um, and it's more challenging to use because you you haven't got the flexibility of having an autumn a huge range of different um, options, or different options, or different lenses. Yeah. So I, you have to work for it. So yeah, so it's gratifying. No, it's a cool, it's a cool looking thing. It's yeah, um, yeah they're, like and they're well built and they look yeah, they nice. Are. And the lenses, you know, the glassness in them is is it's like a glass. So there, it's 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 really really great. Um, yeah, it's a great aesthetic. Like, yeah. as a as a as a a thing you hold yeah, like a Leica camera they're just like it's it's again it's one nice, of those it's, it goes back to you know what's called it goes back to same thing with like you know with Porsche you got a certain build quality you know when you close a, the door of an on 11 it's got the the right clunk the the fit and finish is just yeah. there it's tactile it it's, feels right it's, it's the same so thing German. with yeah it's the same thing with Leica isn't it yeah maybe it's a German thing you're right it just it feels right in the hand the way the lens you know moves in your fingers and the the, the weight of the controls and the feeling of it in your hands the it's well built. It's just an appreciation yeah. for good engineering. I, I love things that are well built. Yeah. Um, like around the, yeah. at the house, I have random items. I have like a bottle opener yeah. that's just, it's like a single <laughs> piece bit of aluminium yeah. that's just perfectly made. And it's, it's definitely over the top for a bottle opener, yeah. but it's just exactly what it needs to be. And it just, it yeah. feels bloody great in your hand. And there's so many things that we interact with nowadays that are just like, super consumable, get replaced, yeah. plastic, whatever. Yeah, Whereas sure. you have these things, whether it's watches or cameras or whatever, yeah. that you're like... But even even things like denim, you know, there's there's, there's yeah. one brand of denim that I've been wearing for donkey's years and I think I've only bought three in my life and it's lucky they still make them. What's your brand um, of denim? A dragon denim. I've not come across uh, it. Yeah, and yeah, just it's it's a heavier weight denim. Yeah. It's it's more robust. It's It's... It's better. I think that one of the, you know, one of the, I mean, we're not going to start talking about, um, <laughs> we're not going to start talking about the environment, but I think one of the problems that we have isn't so much recycling and so on. It's the longevity of the products that we use. Yeah. Throw away um, clothing. Exactly. And if we can, if we can make, create, if we can focus our energies on, on saving more to, to buy better quality products that don't need to be thrown out as much. Yeah. Then, uh, then that's great. No, there's so much to be said. And I think, I think generally as people get older, they get a bit more like this. Like one of my, grandfathers he he used to work in textiles and one of his his business was in testing textiles mm-hmm. so the materials and the fabrics and whatever for whether the dye would stay in and all sort of stuff and his right. thing was just like don't forget the brand yeah like you pretty much want to buy clothes that don't necessarily have a brand written on them because mm-hmm. then you're not tied into the brand or whatever but right. just find the best quality item yeah. and then it'll last forever and it'll be great and you forget these things and yeah. whatever, and you go but and you buy I don't th- I don't think a five brands, pound t-shirt, I of, whatever. Yeah, I don't think of brands. I think about quality. That's it. If it happens to have a Porsche badge on it, okay, fine, whatever. But I, the reason I drive a Porsche is not because it's got the badge on it. It's because it's it's what I believe is an incredibly well-engineered yeah. p- tool um, to do a specific task. And it does that task better than anything else. It's in my the humble best opinion. tool for the job. <laughs> yeah, in my <laughs> humble opinion. The fact that it happens to have, a, uh, have that badge on the front of it is 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 secondary to me anyway. Yeah. No, it's, it's, well, 
you could just go down this rabbit hole forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Um, so I normally wrap these up with five questions. Okay. First question. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Right. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so my, um, so there's, there's, there's a particular 911 that my, uh, that my dad had. Um, and that I, that I had some huge memories in that car. Um, I grew up pretty much around that car. It was, a it was a three, two, I think, um, early, uh, an early three, two, uh, Targa. So nothing special. Mm. And he eventually sold that car to a friend of his that lived in uh, Marseille. And, uh, and years later I bullied him into buying it back off him. Uh, cause it broke my heart the first time we sold it. And so we flew down there and, uh, and we drove back together. And that was my first experience of, you know, touring through Europe nice. in an I-11. And there was this very, um, there was this, I, I can see it still in my head now, this, this frame of him sitting in that, sitting in that seat, driving the car, me little looking up at him. <laughs> and it's just that specific angle, that specific yeah, yeah. And years later, um, we would do, uh, uh, we did a, a European, uh, an Alp tour together in my 911 and uh with him sitting in the passenger seat and me in the driver's seat and that was a, an incredible journey as well yeah. uh, just really just really bonding you know yeah uh, there's nothing like a road trip to really bond because eventually you know you talk you talk day to day when you when you talk about the day-to-day life and this and the other things that need to get done the logistics this and the yeah. other there's a point at which you spend a certain amount of time with someone a, a long period of time with someone eventually you run out of the usual crap yeah, you yeah. talk about and suddenly you start talking about things that that have no meaning at all or a lot of meaning, but something about those useless conversations brings you really close together. Does that make sense? I know that's kind of a hundred percent. I love it. I love doing a a week long road trip or a couple of days with a mate or some mates. And like you said, it's that it's like sitting, if you nowadays, if you sat in a room with someone and it's basically like, you're going to be here four hours, no phones, no TV, you're not allowed to leave. uh, No books. And after you do the normal chat, your normal rubbish, like, you know, how's the weather, blah, 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 blah. You start to, yeah, you start to talk about yeah. real stuff or yeah. random stuff, yeah, like yeah. just completely like yeah. weird yeah. rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that, it's that, but it's that bonding conversation. You know what? You just made me think actually in terms of memorable road trips, there's the, um, we talked about this briefly before and people might get bored of me talking about it to be fair, but there's the, um, there's the one with the, uh, the Roberts and Banaclavas ran across the street. That was a pretty memorable, um, what? So you don't know this story, right? No. Okay. So, um, so, so, so my dad had this, this old 911 and, uh, although it wasn't old in that time. Um, and my mum would borrow it from time to time to pick me up from kindergarten. Yeah. 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 So she, um, it's cause I bully her into it effectively. And so one day she's picking me up from kindergarten and, uh, there are two guys with banaclavas that ran across the street. She had to throw the anchors out not to run them over and they jump into an estate and so they sped off. I don't know what came over her that day, but she decided to give chase. So what ensued- <laughs> Don't do was, that, kids. Yeah, right. And what ensued was a, um, what felt like a 50 minute car chase at that age, but actually it was probably only about five yeah. <laughs> of, um, of screaming around, uh, screaming around the city trying to catch up with these guys. And I just remember the sound of that flat six was something else bouncing off, you know, yeah. uh, narrow roads. And uh, sure enough, eventually she let them go. <laughs> we went to the police station. She reported the story. The next day, the police, two policemen came over and uh, rang the doorbell, asked my dad if they could speak to my mum. So my dad was pretty horrified. And, uh, and then she recounted the story in front of him. And for him, it was the first time he'd heard it. Um, so he, uh, he was pretty shocked by the whole story <laughs> and sure enough, it had been involved in, um, I think it was a jewelry store robbery of some oh, description, wow. but it never called the guys and the car was burned down to a crisp. 
Um, but for me, that was a serious uh, a baptism of fire, really. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that Porsche really got under my skin after that. And the next day at kindergarten, I was a, I was a hero. And so was my mum <laughs> yeah. with that story. Chasing so, uh, down some robbers. Yeah, so so that was definitely a... Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that was probably my most memorable road trip. Okay. <laughs> if you yeah. call it that. Five-minute yeah, road trip, yeah. Five-car garage, unlimited value. All right, five-car garage. Um, well, there's going to be a portion there somewhere, Sam. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I don't know. There would probably be, yeah, it'd probably be a 73 RSR Yeah. Um, with, uh, with a big MFI engine. I do quite fancy the Sport Turismo um, Panamera. Yeah. Actually super Very practical. practical. Yeah, yeah. So that gets that out of the way. Great daily. That's the boring car out of the way. What else? Uh, I'm a big fan of the um, 250 short wheelbase Ferrari. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so that, I don't know what else. Uh, so where are we at? We're You've got three, two more slots. Two more slots. Um, track car? Yeah, probably a 934. Well, 73 RSR is pretty much track car, but yeah, a, 934, a, track car. a 934 would be pretty epic. Just there's something to be said for lag. People always talk about, oh yeah, it's the new turbo. It's got no lag. It feels like it's NA. No, I quite like lag. That. Yeah, you want you want lag. You want you want huge amounts of lag. Stuff that, <laughs> and, and you know consequences. Yeah, consequences lag. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Hair on the back of your neck standing yeah. up. You know, you're in deep deep shit if you don't modulate that boost and get it absolutely yeah. right as you're exiting the corner. Yeah, that nine three four. Yeah, that would do it. And then uh, final car. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think what people have had. You've got a couple of good ins mm. in there. Um, 934, 73 RSL. Like, do you have like an all-time poster car? Is that already, have we already got that well, in 73 there? 73 RSL is pretty, pretty yeah. high up there. Uh, struggling a bit. Don't you've, know. Got, you've got a track car, which you could also race. Uh, you've got a daily. I'd probably be another Porsche. Do you have a modern supercar? But you know what? I'd be, I'd be potentially interested in a, um, a Carrera GT. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably go with that. Then you've got a convertible. Yeah, there we go. Got a convertible. Yeah, V10, naturally aspirated, uh, no driver aids. Yeah, something in black on tan. Yeah. I think silver wheels. It would look nice. Yeah. Great car. I'd do well. Very cool. Dream. Okay, you can only drive one car for the rest of your life. Oh, God. Well, the temptation is to say the car that, that does everything, right? That you won't get a near fall from your missus. But, um, <laughs> but the reality, if I could drive one car perpetually, if I was stuck in this perpetual dream of the perfect car, yeah. the perfect road forever, uh, it would probably be a 73 RSR on an Alpine Pass. Yeah, and that's yeah. that ticks all your boxes. You've got a bit of luggage space. You can do whatever. Great car, cool. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just thinking about <laughs> the purity of that sound through <laughs> megaphones going through, <laughs> going through sheer rock faces and hearing the echo come back and that naturally aspirated 8,000 RPM. Yeah. yeah, 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 it'd be good. Right, yeah. what do you think is um, undervalued in the car world at the moment? Like what cars undervalued? Right, well, I don't know. I don't follow the market that much, to be honest. I certainly didn't see the water cool cars taking so much value. I was, you know, I was doing my echo thing, thinking that, you know, the water cool cars were out of my range, out of my price range. And then they came down and, and all the, the echo stuff came, came up in value. So I certainly, I missed that boat um, with some of the, some of the water cool Porsches. I don't know what's on the value at the moment. It's tricky, isn't it? It's a tricky one. Everything's um, quite cheap at the moment. Yeah. I think ish. to go, to go, to go, I think some of the transactional Porsches are probably quite, 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 quite undervalued, yeah. some of the rarer ones in there. Um, I don't really think about values, if I'm honest. You know, it's, it's not so, it's not a game that I'm... So I don't I don't really know what's undervalued. It's not something I think... I think um, I think of probably, forgetting about Porsches for a moment, a V12 DBS manual. Do you have one of those? I do. 
I saw I saw it the yeah. other day. That is, yeah, I I think you're on the money with that. Yeah, I, I think that I think, that, I think that's a good car. It's just a cool car, yeah. good car, and like, and it's, seems it's keenly flawed. priced. It's flawed. It's got huge, huge flaws. I mean, the panel gaps are nowhere near Porsche. Um, the the what's it called the the fin- finish of things are nowhere near Porsche. The 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 use of materials is much more exotic. They are much more exotic materials than Porsches for sure of that period. And the carbon fiber and leather and, and all the rest of it. But you know what's called it's got huge amounts of character. If you want a better driving car equivalent, Porsche would be a, a, a nine and seven turbo S, right? But but it's but just, the, the Aston's <laughs> so flawed. It's got so much more character than 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 that. And uh, yeah, I think I think you know what's called. They're not going to make the they're not going to make a naturally aspirated engine like that anymore. No. And especially not with an with a manual gearbox. So I think that's probably quite a good one. Even like uh, I think all Astons are really they're they're really. I don't know why I'm going through this kind of Aston phase. Maybe I'm rebelling from you know, what's called <laughs> from my Porsche obsessions um, for a bit. But I think that they're just they're just. There's so much value in them. Um, you know, like the V8, the V8 Vantage. It's so cheap. It's so cheap. I mean, it's an absolute riot. You know, it's so old school, brutish. Yeah. And you can, I've, I've got a friend who bought one for 20 grand. Yeah. You know, he, he drove it all the way to, to Greece and back. I think he broke the bumper driving it down to the <laughs> beach when he was in Greece. But the point is, is that we're told he, you know, 20 grand. I mean, yeah. what a riot. And he, he, unbelievably, he made it back without having any issues. Yeah. Um, but I think those, those are, it's a lot of, a lot of car for the money. Um, and it's an these, Aston Martin. Yeah, it's an Aston Martin, and and fundamentally, it's a lot of car for the money. And same thing with with these nine nine sixes and nine nine sevens. I don't know what they'll do value wise because um, they they were built in hugely big numbers. But again, it's, they are awesome cars, incredibly capable, and a huge amount of car for the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you do that that thing yeah. of comparing like an old a nine nine six C two S or nine nine seven C two S to something mm. modern that you could buy for new for the same amount of money. You're like, mm. I, okay, I appreciate you might want the modern stuff. Yeah. F- fine. But just as like a car to look at and use. Mm. Oh, so much better. The thing <laughs> is, is the, 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 why, why do we have to own the latest, the latest thing? You know, wait, know. wait five years. Why it's can't just we just marketing, pretend that, you know, what's called that actually we're five years ago. Yeah. Right. And just, 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 just enjoy five years later. You'll pay less for it. You'll, you'll worry less about values. You won't pay a premium. Um, just, yeah. And cars built, let's say we aren't right now, cars built five years ago are all really good cars. Mm. Like we now, we've gone past the like- Five years ago, shockers. 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years you know, ago. 2010, 911 is an awesome thing. 2004, you know, uh, 996s. Again, it was just awesome car for the money. It's so capable. Yeah. My 997, 2010 car- I get in it now, and yes, okay, if you got in a 992 or mm. even a 991, you're like, whoa, this is feels very different. Mm. But you still have all of the stuff. Like, you can still connect your phone. you still got sat-nav if mm. you want, music, cruise control, all mm. of these things. But turn a blind eye. Buy your 991 in 10 years' time. You know, yeah. don't, don't have to, you don't have to have it now. Why do you have to have it now? No, Enjoy, no need. You know, yeah, exactly. So, like, in, in my mind, I'd love to own, like, a, a 997 GT3 RS. What you've got. Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly what you've got. But um, but I don't think they're getting cheaper. You don't think so? You don't no. think so? Well, well as an well, owner, all, obviously they're going up. If, you think, oh, <laughs> they're going up in value. I don't I know. I think they're going to sit. I, but oh, I don't great. know. I'll let it sit, you know, and ho- if they go down, then great, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe grab one. But I don't I don't need to have one right now. I can no. wait. And there'll always be cars yeah. out there that have been driven more or less or whatever. And if at the time, but people say, like, oh, you should never sell that car, whatever car it is. Mm. Yeah, but if I don't use it or I don't drive it or whatever, and I want to sell it, the expensive things. And if in five years time, I want 
it back or I want another one, I'll make the decision then to either buy one then or not buy one you know or what, not Sam? be able to afford it or whatever. But I always say it's your card, your rules. You do what you want. You know, yeah. we, we're, we're far too opinionated nowadays. We've got to give our opinion on absolutely everything all the time. Always got a comment. Um, always got a comment. Always got to give your opinion, you know, because we can. But actually what's called is your card, your rules. You do what you want. If it works for you one way or another, who am I to comment your life? Yeah. You, know, you make your memories. I came across one recently that I thought was a bit, it was an, I, I firmly agree. If you've paid for it, you can do whatever the hell you like. But we were talking about PTS on new Porsches. Paint to sample. Yeah, paint to sample. Yeah. Which, if if you're buying a UK car, mm. is actually really hard to get now. Is that right? So let's say you want, I don't know, you get the new GT3 RS or even like a, a C2S or something. Actually, yeah. you, I'm sure you could do it on a C2S, but something that's a bit rare. And you want it to be in not one of the five standard colours. Mm-hmm. There are only a certain number of cars in the UK that get PTS. Mm-hmm. And we keep seeing every now and then like full on shocker, horrific <laughs> specs appear. And I don't really care. I think they're kind of fun, whatever. But I also know that there's potentially someone uh, like someone else mm-hmm. who wanted to get PTS. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I wanted to get PTS on a car or whatever. Couldn't get it mm. because this person's get it and would have got it in a much nicer colour, much nicer spec. Yeah, but that's all subjective, Sam. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what's called your spec is one thing, his spec is another I agree. thing. At the end of the day, at least he didn't buy it in, like, I don't know, uh, a resale colour. You know, he get, he whoever put yes. that paint a sample, he went crazy and did what he wanted. It was mad, you know, and nobody else may want it. But fundamentally, he's got, you know, he's, 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 he's done that for himself and for no one else. And that's and, pretty cool. And he's paid the money and fair enough. And he got yeah. the allocation. You can do whatever you like. Yeah. I just, I just mourned the loss of what could have been a nice car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. But no, yeah. there is something very satisfying about going through the classifieds and finding a car when you go, "Ooh, that is exactly the spec I would have." Yes, you exactly. Know? Someone has got exactly the same opinion as me. I saw that recently. We were. I was thinking about a, a new daily, and you know, was what I was browsing. I'm, I'm, I was looking at the the B. I think it's a B nine RS fours. Yeah. And um and I saw one in in the midnight blue, black leather interior, just silver wheels, nothing yeah. too shoddy. That's, that's right. what I would have. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that guy. I don't know who that guy is, but I'm sure we get along because he's got a similar <laughs> similar kind of spec as what I would choose. Um, and pulled them up at a time. And it's never sold. a problem until you're specifically looking for a car, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm sure everyone will have done it. And then you start looking at cars, and it's like, so this person decided to not get heated seats in something that really should have heated seats. You're like, why? Why? It's a perfect car apart from they've made some really weird options. Mm. Like, oh, I've just deleted the stereo. Why would you do that? Or no air con. Mm. No air con in a modern sports car. Uh, anyway. Yeah. People are entitled to do whatever they do. But it does make interesting browsing on the old auto trader. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Final question. What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling? What are you looking up? We're going, hmm. That's interesting. What am I googling? What am I looking up? I don't know really. I'm, I'm like I said. The, mo- the most recent thing I've been looking at is I was looking at, um, I was looking at a, an Audi RS4. Just thinking how how fantastic that car is, is capable of doing everything. Yeah, I've been looking at um, early V8 Vantages cause, just because they're just it's so much bang for your buck. Um, I've been looking at. Uh, Do they go wrong? I, I think so. I don't know. I haven't owned one. I haven't done yeah. it yet. <laughs> I don't know yet. Uh, my 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 2010 uh, Aston hasn't gone wrong yet. Touch wood, everything's okay about it. But actually, I was speaking to uh, speaking to a friend a little while ago who's got one. He said, "Yeah, it's the worst thing you can do." So <laughs> I'm bracing myself for impact. Is it? So, one, I don't know. Is it one of those things that if you've because sort of the age now, ten years later, if it's had a, a 
owner that serviced it properly and stuff, presumably a lot of issues have been sorted out. Yeah, I think so. And I think as 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 a classic car owner, um, I'll tell you the same thing everybody else does, which is that you just don't want to let these things sit. No. I think, you know, letting a car sit is the worst thing you could possibly do for it, especially with the grade of fuels that we have nowadays. They just burn through pipes. Um, yeah. So I think as long as you're as long as you're still driving it, as long as you know you're keeping the battery going through its cycles, keeping the engine, all the all the gaskets, all the rubbers are staying properly lubricated, um, then yeah, driving them is probably is probably more important than just servicing. It makes a huge basis. difference, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know I know it. I've got you know I've got nine elevens that have sat there for a little while because because you know work gets in the way, life gets in the way, whatever. And uh, I know that I know that there's going to be a problem um, because it's sat there for too long. Yeah, yeah definitely. Rubbers yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I always worry about these these low mileage cars out there yeah. that people are like I really want a low mileage car and you're like yeah but you might have to rebuild the whole thing yeah, before you use you, it. What do you do with your low mileage car? It, well, some, some people buy them because they they didn't have the chance of buying it new. Mm. Oh yeah. When yeah. it came out and they're like I would like to have the new car yeah. experience and I can afford it now. Yeah. Or and that's why. Yeah. And then I was listening to an American podcast and it was who's the guys Spike Ferrison and someone else super wealthy guys and they've got loads of cool cars and they were talking about the difference between a restored car and a low mileage car and they said you can tell like a a restored car does not drive the same as a brand new as if it was brand new he said they are different and it is a different experience if you can drive a 200 mile car it is very different to a hundred thousand one completely nut and bolt restored in some sort of different way. Yeah. And in some ways, perhaps not agreeing with, with the people you're speaking of, the actual restore car is a better car. Oh, for sure. For many different reasons. It's got right? to be a better car. Yeah. Because the, uh, our, our standards for, for restore cars are so high nowadays. They never came out of the factory. Yeah. I mean, like a 70s 911 does not come out of the factory the way it does, you know, fully restored by the best no. independent specialists in the country. There's no way. And also, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, here's another scenario. There's a friend of mine whose dream car is a 964 RS. Mm-hmm. I've had a 964 RS and uh, it it didn't get driven enough um, because I didn't get to make it enough of my own um, and because I was conscious of the mileage. Um, and actually, for a lot less money, you can buy a shitbox 964 Carrera 2 with huge mileage on the clock um, that needs everything done. Yeah. You can rebuild the car from the ground up with a bigger engine with modern suspension, um, with all those different things, um, and you're not worrying about you're not worrying about mileage. Yeah, you've got no and worries you, at that point. Yeah, you've got no your, worries. You've got no worries about wallet. mileage, and you're you're also what's called it's, and it's a better driving experience because it's got because it's got a bigger engine. It's got contemporary tech, yeah. uh, contemporary um, uh, discs and uh, calipers and pads and tires and all the rest of it. Yeah, all of those things. And yeah, it's something that's been built mm. now is probably going to be put together better. Yeah, than something built yeah. 40 well, years you, ago or 50 years ago. Absolutely, you're right. Like, well, to a certain degree, yeah, definitely. Because you've got, you've got, however, you know, 40 years of... Precision of, tools. <laughs> yeah, 40 years of precision tools and 40 years of experience. You know, these 73 cars, like it's 40 years later that you, you're going to gain a huge amount of, huge amount of knowledge about how those, those cars go together. Yeah, especially um, if you've got, um, like we were saying with the, the 250 short wheelbase thing I drove the other day. Mm. Those cars, there was a point in time when they weren't worth... Well, they weren't worth what they were now and when they were relatively cheap cars. So right, right. those cars go through a period of their life. And, and most cars do this. When they go through the bottom of the curve mm. where the owners don't really care about them at all yeah. and things might be done to them to fixed or botched or a dealer might want to sell something quickly so they just cover something up. So actually 
yes, they may be worth tons more in the future, but it's probably not the same car that came out of the factory mm. in the condition. Mm. And it may have been, you know, all sorts of things might have happened to that car along its way to make it not the sort of perfect version of what it should be. Whereas if you like do one of these guys, which is basically make all the parts brand new right now and assemble it in a correct way, it's going to drive more like an original 250 short wheelbase than probably most 250 short wheelbases. Yeah. Which is yeah. a weird concept. No, it, it is a weird concept, but I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, yeah, there, there is something to be said for, uh, for taking, you know, for taking something and making something. Mm. Um, just yeah, you get a lot of, out of that. Yeah. You get a lot out of it. You get a lot out of it. I mean, a, a, a standard 964 RS has got a 3.6 litre engine. You could build a 3.8 litre 964, you know, sports purpose kind of style. Mm for a lot less money and all of a sudden pack much more of a punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's been good. Cheers. You're going to have a little poke around your call. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Cheers. Fella. Cheers. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and leave a, a rating and review. It really helps push us up charts and do all that sort of stuff. So if you could rate on the platform that you use or specifically iTunes is very, very helpful. If you'd like to help out the podcast in another way, you can go over to Patreon. Uh, There's a link below in the description and it's Patreon forward slash Sam Moores. And you can leave a little bit of money towards helping run the podcast and ideally get it edited by someone and just generally push the podcast forward. All all donations are going to go forward to really trying to improve the podcast and make it better and create more content for you guys. So thanks very much. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.